Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the rock. And Father, tonight we ask that we may have our houses founded upon a rock, that when the floods come and the rain descends, that our house will not fall, but will stand. Help us, Lord, as we open your word tonight to learn your truth and to be willing to follow it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Be with me as I speak, Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, how many of you did your homework? Oh, okay, okay, good. That's a little better response. How many of you think you got it right? Okay, well, we'll see. You can tell me afterward what, if you did get it right. And we're going to take a look this evening. Our subject is entitled The Counterfeit Passport. The Counterfeit Passport. Uh, let me say this up front. The Bible says that in times of ignorance, God winks. Um, but once he brings light, it's, it's a different story. And I know that as I go through this subject, uh, some of you may begin to think, well, uh, you know, what about so-and-so who didn't understand this and, you know, how does this, does this affect them? And um, I'm happy to tell you tonight that God is a very fair and just God. Amen? And uh, he judges based off of the knowledge that we have. And so we leave judgment in God's hands. But we must advance in truth as the Lord reveals it to us. So our message is entitled The Counterfeit Passport. And uh, we're going to take a look at the rebellion. And now we're going to do it in a very, uh, very rapid uh, rate. Just the rebellion so that we can get into the theme of our, of our study tonight. But again, as we're seeing, we've got to understand the foundation, the beginning, in order to understand the ending. So... Let's begin. Ezekiel 28, 14, and 15. Speaking of Satan, the Bible says here, Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created until iniquity was found in thee. Iniquity is everyone. Lawlessness. Very good. What did Satan profane in heaven? You all should be able to tell me this now. The sanctuary. Very good. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries. Ezekiel 28, verse 18. And we see that the sanctuaries translate to holy places. So there were holy places in heaven that Satan purposely defiled. What do the holy places or the sanctuary represent? According to Jeremiah 17, 12, a glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. In profaning the sanctuary, Satan was attacking the throne or the government of God. Why was Lucifer called a covering angel or covering cherub? Well, because he was one of the angels, when you look in the, in the sanctuary and you, you look at the Ark of the Covenant, there were two angels with their, uh, facing each other with their wings arching over the, over the covenant. Satan in heaven, or Lucifer, was one of these angels, the covering angels. He stood uh, in the very presence and in the very, on the very throne of God 
under which was the law of self-sacrificing love, the law of God. Lucifer's desire, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregations in the sides of the north, I will ascend above the clouds, or the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high. My pointer has died. All right, well, enough of that. Satan profanes the law at the foundation of God's throne. Remember, Satan is saying what? I don't need a law to be holy like God. Iniquity means lawlessness. Satan was rebelling against the law and yet saying, I will be like the Most High. What is the Most High like, everyone? Loving, kind, merciful, holy. All those things Satan is saying, I can be good without submitting to any law of God. Satan desired to abolish the heavenly law of God. He was against the law of God. Satan wanted the throne of God, but not his what? Law. Remember that, brothers and sisters. Satan wanted God's throne. Use my little pointer here. He wanted his throne, but he didn't want the law that was found at the base of the throne. All right? Why should I have to deny self was Satan's argument. Remember the law in in heaven was a law of what? Self-sacrificing love. Satan began to say, why should I deny self? Why do I have to deny who I really am? I can be like God. And this is the law that he began to rebel against. So the unwillingness to deny self is a principle belonging to who? Belonging to Lucifer, belonging to Satan. That's right. We're going to come back to that point. Satan exalts his throne above one third of the stars of God by deceiving, as it were, one third of the angels. Okay, here you go. By deceiving one third of the angels or the stars of God. The Bible says there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought. In other words, Michael convinced or rather, uh, and the dragon fought in his angels. The dragon or Satan convinced one third of holy angels that they didn't need a law to be holy like God. The Bible says, and they prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Revelation 12, 7 and 8. After Satan was cast out, he was cast out into this earth. Adam and Eve were created. They also fell to Satan. And God comes down, or rather comes to Moses uh, about 2,000 or 1,000, about 2,000 years later, and he tells Moses and the children of Israel, let them make me a what? Sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Mankind had now been in rebellion against the law of self-sacrificing love. God gives them the sanctuary to teach them what the city or what the kingdom or government of heaven is like. Inside that sanctuary, you have the holy places. And this pointer still isn't working. So we're just going to leave it alone. You've got the holy places. Just like in heaven, the Bible said that Satan had defiled the what? Holy places or the sanctuaries. So God now gives Moses this 
this model or this miniature model of the sanctuary in heaven with its holy places. And inside the holy place or the most holy place you had that little box with the two angels covering over it. And what was inside that box, everyone? The law of love for... You guys didn't remember that yesterday, huh? The law of love for dummies. That's right, you got it, remember? Humanity could no longer tell the difference between right and wrong, and God now has to spell out the law of love, and he gives it in the form of ten commandments. Very good. So we understand that this is the law that Satan hates. Now the purpose of grace we saw yesterday... According to Exodus 33, 14, Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. Grace is that thing which leads us or shows us the way. Where is the way found, everyone? God's way is found in his sanctuary. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Psalm 77, 13. We look at our chart here and we see a bird's eye view of the sanctuary and we notice all the articles of furniture, uh, the six articles of furniture, and the top article being the throne of what? Throne of grace. And we see that it is grace that leads us step by step through the sanctuary or through the way to salvation until we finally get to the Ark of the Covenant or the throne of grace. Satan wanted the throne, but he didn't want the the law, Satan's principle, please remember that. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This is the way that God has been leading. So when we talk about Satan's principle, counterfeit grace, we hear a lot of people who are teaching today that we don't need a law to be like who? Jesus. We hear that a whole lot. We also hear that the keeping of God's law is legalism. And also we hear Christians are free and don't need a law. The law of God has been abolished by Jesus Christ. And last night we saw that that was absolutely 100% false. That Jesus Christ did not come to get rid of the very law which Satan was cast out of heaven for. He came to confirm it and to establish it. Now, our subject tonight, what is the passport to heaven? The Bible tells us, blessed are they that do his, what? Commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Revelation twenty-two fourteen. 14. So the passport into the city of God, back into the kingdom of heaven, are the what? Ten commandments. Is that clear? According to this verse, the Bible tells us those who keep the commandments of God are those who have what? Right to the tree of life. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you would like to have right to the tree of life? Okay, now let's say that you wanted to go to some country and uh, you were going to try to get in on a, on a fake passport. What do you think would happen if you got caught with that fake passport? <laughs> you don't get in. You probably get in a lot of trouble. You'd want to make sure that your passport is a legitimate passport. Amen? Now, does, does the devil want you to get into heaven? What's the easiest way to keep you out of heaven? 
false passport, counterfeit passport. So how many of us tonight would like to make sure that we have got 100% the genuine passport that we need to get into heaven? Amen. Very good. We're going to find out tonight, beloved, and I hope you are prepared. Passport to heaven, Jesus again says, but if you will enter into life, keep the what? Commandments. And he goes on to name which commandments? Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. He is naming some of the ten commandments. Matthew 19, 7. 17 and 18. So again, we see from Jesus' Jesus's own mouth, this is the passport to heaven. Remember what the everlasting covenant is. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, say the Lord. I will put my laws into their what? Hearts and in their minds will I write them. So the passport, beloved, is going to be written where? Here and here. Here in the heart and in the mind. That's where God wants to write it. And that's, by the way, where Satan wants to get rid of it. He doesn't want you to accept the passport where? In your heart or in your mind. The Ten Commandments are a levy against sin and deception. Now I want you to notice what the Bible says here in Psalms 19, 7 and 10. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. Now let me ask you something. It's, if something is perfect... Does it need changing to make it any better? No. That which is perfect, the Bible says God is perfect. Therefore, he says, I change not. Why? Because he's perfect. He doesn't need improving. Well, the Bible here says that the law of the Lord is what? Perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. And then it says, moreover, by them is thy servant, what? Warned. So the law of God serves to warn us or protect us from all danger and deception. The law of God is like a guard around the soul. That's why God says, write it on your heart, write it in your mind. Because by keeping the commandments, you are protected. You are protected. Once angels in heaven entertain the idea of a change in God's law in the least, just a little... Once they said, you know what, you're right, uh, Lucifer, we don't need the law the way that God ha has it set out. We can be holy by ourselves. Once they entertained that idea, they became open to the most insane deceptions of Satan. In other words, once they entertained the idea that the law of God was imperfect, that opened their minds up to everything else Lucifer had to say, and it eventually got them kicked out of heaven. Based on this, do you think it's a wise idea to open your mind to the enter or to entertain the thought that God's law could possibly be changed? It's not safe to even entertain the thought that God's law could be changed. To entertain that very thought necessarily opens you up to what? To deception. Now, how many of you would like to be deceived? Nobody? None. Very good. We're all on the same page so far. One simple breach in the law of God opens the floodgate of deception. One simple breach. In other words, Satan realizes, listen, if we can just make one breach, if we can just get them to be deceived on how many of the commandments? One, it opens the floodgates 
Four deceptions. Notice James 2, 10 and 11. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in what? One point he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if you commit no adultery, yet if you kill, you are become a transgressor of the law. So James is telling us here that, it, that we must keep not only part of the law, but the whole law. And if we offend in one point, if we make one breach, it says we're pretty much guilty of all. Really, beloved, because the law is summed up in how many words? One word, and that word is Love. That's why if you commit one, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. You're guilty of breaking the law of self-sacrificing love. So Satan's diabolical plot, beloved, is to create a counterfeit passport. Remember Daniel 7.25? Through the little horn, or the Antichrist, which we're going to learn who that is. So just hold on, not tonight, but just hold on. It says, he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and what? Laws. Satan's purpose is to assault the law of God, or the sanctuary of God. Now Satan wants to divert worship from God to who? To himself. Remember he said, I will be like the Most High? I want the worship that belongs to God. And I want you to notice 2 Thessalonians 2.4. The Bible says here, speaking of the Antichrist again, but ultimately of Satan, who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the where? Temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So Satan's goal is ultimately to divert the worship that belongs to God alone and to divert that worship to himself. Now, beloved, the first four commandments are the avenues of worshiping God. Do you realize that? The first four commandments, the Bible says, Jesus speaking says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. The first table, or the first four commandments, are those commandments that actually tell us what we would do, or what we should do, if we love God. Alright, we're going to try it again. Thank you, Stuart. If we love God with all of our hearts. Alright. There we go. Oh, let me go back here. Remember, Satan says, I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. I want to sit on His throne. I want to be worshipped as God. I want to be worshipped as the ultimate being, as the Creator. Does Satan deserve that worship? No. no. Do you think it matters how Satan gets the worship anyway? He doesn't care how he gets it. He will deceive you to get it. Amen? He will do whatever he can to try to get this worship. And so that's what we're going to see tonight. Listen, Bible says here, speaking of the Ten Commandments, commandment number one is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Do you think Satan would like that to be his commandment? 
Yes, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The Bible says, commandment number two, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. This commandment, again, God is warning us, do not worship anything other than me. Satan wants to take this commandment and do something with it to where he gets what? The worship. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That's commandment number three, which deals with honoring God's name above every other name. Does Satan want his name honored above every other name? Does Satan want his name honored above every other name? Yes, he does, okay? Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. So, beloved, we can pretty much narrow down the commandments... People break the commandments every, you know, people are breaking the commandments. But we're talking about slipping in something into these commandments imperceptibly that will, in essence, bring people to a place where they are worshiping who? Satan, where Satan is diverting their worship to himself. These first four commandments deal with the way that we relate towards God and Satan wants to be who? God, and so he's going to tamper with these first four commandments in one way or another. Remember Psalms 94.20, Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, talking about God, which frameth mischief by a what? By a law. In other words, we're being told here that one of the things that the throne of iniquity does, which is whose throne, by the way? Satan's throne is that it frames mischief by a law. We can pretty much expect that Satan would slip into the commandments of God. A law that seems to be in honor of God, done by God, but is really in honor of Satan, done by Satan. To frame mischief by a law. What better way to get worship? What better way to exalt his throne above the stars of God? All right? Quiz time. Well, I'm not going to have you call it out. I just want you to see if you got it right, and then I'll ask you afterwards. Her prophets, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of myself. Sorry about that, guys. Calm down. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have done what? Polluted the sanctuary, they have done violence to the law. How do you pollute the sanctuary? By doing what? By doing violence to the law. This is what Satan's going to do. Do you think a change in God's law is that serious? Listen to what the Bible says. Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty and maketh it waste and turneth it upside down, and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. The earth mourneth and fadeth away, the world languisheth and fadeth away, the haughty people of the earth do languish. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have what? Transgressed the laws, and done what else? Changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant, therefore has the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. That's Isaiah 24, 1, 3 through 6. How many of you remember our study on Daniel chapter 2? And remember that stone that was cut out without hands that represented the second coming of Christ? Why is the world or the kingdoms of the world, why are they destroyed? Because they what? They have changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant, 
transgress the law. So it's a pretty serious thing, beloved, to go against or transgress the law of God. My covenant will I not break, nor what? Alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. That's what God says. Satan says, I'm going to think to change times and laws. Weapon of mass deception, God has modified his law. And here it is, at least one of them, the second commandment. What does the second commandment say? How many of you figured that one out? Some of you. Alright, let's look at it. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. Exodus 23 and 4. The Bible says, Ye shall make no idols nor graven image, neither rear up a standing image, neither shall ye set up any image of stone in your land to what? Bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 26.1. Now I want to make this clear. God does not say you can't make uh, any graven image. He says don't make it to what? To bow down to it. You look in a sanctuary and there were graven images in the sanctuary. There were two angels standing on the Ark of the Covenant. However, God instructed them, do not bow down to graven images. He never tells them to bow down to these angels or anything that is carved. Now, are there people that are breaking this image today in honor of God? Or breaking this commandment today in honor of God? Yes, there are. I want you to notice something about Satan, Lucifer, in heaven. The Bible says here, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious what? Stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. And gold. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy what? Beauty, thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. Satan began to look at himself. The Bible says he was covered with all these precious stones. And he begins to look at himself. And this is part of the reason of his fall from heaven. Notice is Exodus 20 verse 23. You shall not make with me gods of what? Silver. Neither shall ye make unto you gods of Gold, wouldn't it make sense that if Satan was in heaven, decked with all these things, and now he's like, you know, I should be worshipped, and now he's kicked, out, kicked down to earth, what is he going to try to do, according to this verse? Have people made gods of what? Silver and gold. What do you think that does for Satan? It strokes his ego. Ah, let me let them make these images, gods of gold and silver. The Bible says in Isaiah 42 verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. We're going to see why graven images are so offensive to God. Who are the gods behind these images? What do you think? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, Ephesians 6.10. In other words, when we bow down before these images or statues, the statues themselves are, are nothing, but who are we really bowing down to? You're really bowing down to the angels, the fallen angels, who are behind those statues. Who are leading men and women to bow down and worship. Now some of you may be thinking, well hold on pastor. 
Hold on just one minute. I'm doing this, or I know people who do this because they are really worshiping Jesus and they're not worshiping these. Just hold that thought. Listen to this. But if our gospel be what? Hid. It is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the what? Image of who? God should shine unto them. According to this verse, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 4, who is the image of God? Jesus Christ. So when Satan encourages people to make images, to bow down and to pray before them, these images are really trying, are really taking the place of the true image of God, which is who? Christ. Who ought, we be, who ought we to be praying to? Images or Christ? Christ. The image. The living image of God. That is the one we're to be praying to. Satan says, hey, why don't you just make these images and uh, you're not really praying to them. You're just asking them to help you out. Listen again to what the Bible has to say. When the children of Israel were on their way out of Egypt and Moses went up to Mount Sinai, he didn't come back for a while. The children of Israel began to get worried. And so the Bible says here, And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in, your, in the ears of your wives and of your sons and your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. Then what do they do with it? He received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And then he said, These be thy what? Gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And now notice this. When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to who? To who? To the Lord. Now, if you ask Aaron, if Aaron was alive today, and you ask Aaron at that point in time, Aaron, um, who is this graven calf supposed to be helping us to worship? What would Aaron have told you? It's helping you to worship who? The Lord. I want you to notice how God responds. God tells Moses, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have what? corrupted themselves. Exodus 32, 4, 5, 7. In other words, beloved, God says, listen, don't let anyone tell you that this is honoring me in any way. Read the commandment. It's pretty simple. Do not bow down to these images to pray to them, to serve them. Nothing. Satan is worship hungry. In bowing down to images, Satan was ignorantly worshipped by pagans. How many of you knew that? Pagans were worshipped uh, graven images, and Satan was the one that was behind the worship. He was the one that was getting all the honor and praise. They had many different names, but who were they really worshiping? They were worshiping Satan. Well, Satan exalts his throne above the stars of God. Who are the stars of God? We're not talking about angels now. We're talking about those who profess to be God's people. He, he uh, exalts his throne above the stars of God by encouraging them to break the second commandment under the guise of prayer to what? Dead saints and worship to God. In other words, if you said, hey, that's a, that's a graven image, that's a pagan statue, whoa, 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 whoa. we're not going to bow down to that. 
But if he can make it seem like something that is good, then it is easier to swallow. Praying to images instead of Christ, praying to images instead of to Christ is redirected what? Worship. Satan redirects the worship so that while we may believe that we're doing something in honor of Christ, it's the opposite. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Who is the one that's going to help us? Jesus or some saint? Who helps us? Jesus, the Bible tells us, come boldly to the throne of grace where we may obtain help from who? Jesus, not any saint, not any dead person, not any angel. Jesus is the one that we're to be praying to. And Satan wants to redirect that worship. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And he is doing that to many people. He is preparing people, beloved, for the, for the final deception. Because when you read in the book of Revelation, something very similar is going to happen. And we'll talk about this later on. It says, He deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Revelation 13, 14. So Satan is ultimately trying to prepare people to worship what? An image to something called the beast. And the best thing for you and I to do right now is to get out of the habit of worshiping any image except the living image of God, which is who? Jesus Christ. That is the only image that we ought to be bowing down to, the image of God in the living, not a statue, in the living Jesus Christ. You have made the commandments of God of non-effect by your what? tradition, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Is it possible to worship God in vain? Yes, it is. When we do what? Put traditions over the commandments of God, according to Matthew 15, 6 and 9. What does Satan want to do? Satan wants to make you rebellious against the law of heaven under a guise of holiness. To put self-tradition above the law of God. Now, you notice that man there in that building? What would you do if you were that man there in that building? You would get out, wouldn't you? You've got a fireman coming to try to help you. And what's his attitude right here? It's a pretty defined attitude, isn't it? I'm going to believe what I want to believe and nothing you say is going to what? is going to change that. I'm going to stay right here. How many of you would like to stay in a burning building? Nobody? Very good. Well, beloved, God wants to let you know that when he tells you something, it is not to condemn you or not to send you to a place of burning. He's trying to what? Save you from destruction. He's trying to save you from an end that we don't want to have, beloved. And we ought to take God's hand when he sends us something. How many of you got it? The fourth commandment. That's the second commandment we're going to look at tonight. What does it say? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. This commandment tells us that we may work six days, but on the seventh day we should do what? 
No work. We should rest. That's what the commandment says. It goes on to say, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Why did God bless the Sabbath day? Tells you right there. For in six days the Lord, what? Made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. Now I need a volunteer. I'm just going to ask you what your birthday is. What's your birthday? April? April 3rd. Now could we, could we just say, you know what? Uh, your birthday is no longer going to be April 3rd. Or your birthday doesn't count anymore. Um, just because we want to make it so. Could we do that? Why will his birthday always remain? Because the thing which it signifies can never be what? Can never be changed. He was born on April 3rd. April 3rd. And that lets us know that that day must always continue to be his birthday as long as he lives and even after he's gone. Even after I'm gone, my birthday will always be September 23rd. Well, the Bible says here that God, the reason why God gave us the Sabbath is because he did what? Created the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. That's the reason for the Sabbath. Let's look at the Sabbath in the Old Testament. The Bible says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God did what? Ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God did what? Blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So this is the commandment. It tells us that God did it and it says we ought to what? We ought to do it. No work on that day. Six days shall you labor. The seventh day he wants you to rest. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Now we're going to look at the New Testament very quickly. Jesus and the Sabbath because you know a lot of people say we don't need to keep Uh, the Sabbath or the Lord's day anymore. Listen to what the Bible says about Jesus. And he came to Nazareth where as he had been brought up and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the what day? Sabbath day and stood up for the read. So we know that in the New Testament, Jesus himself kept the what? Kept the Sabbath. Now the question is, was Jesus a false prophet? That's what I'm about to ask. How many of you think Jesus is a false prophet? Don't raise your hand. Jesus is not a false prophet. He is God. And when he says something, we can trust it. Amen? Now, some people say that the Sabbath no longer stands. We don't need to keep the Lord's day anymore because it was done away with. But look at this statement that Jesus makes in Matthew 24, 20, and 21. He says, but pray. He's speaking about in the last days. The context is the last days. And he says, but pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the what? Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So according to Jesus, in the time of great tribulation, is the Sabbath still relevant? Well, Jesus, you must be wrong. I mean, don't you know that the Sabbath was nailed to the cross? Why would he be talking about something that's going to be relevant in the time of the great tribulation if it was done away with at the cross? Well, beloved, if we think that, then who must be the wrong ones? 
Us, not who? Not Christ. Christ lets us know that the Sabbath day will be relevant even in the time of the great tribulation. He says, pray that your flight is not on the Sabbath day. What about the early church on the Sabbath? The Bible says, and when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles, the who? Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. So, so far we see even in the early church that they kept the Sabbath or the Lord's day. The early church and the Sabbath again. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by Riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. That's Acts 16, 13. They couldn't find a church. They said it's the Sabbath. We're going to go outside to the city and find a place where we can pray. Paul. Speaking of Paul here, the Bible says, And he reasoned in the synagogue every what? Sabbath and persuaded the who? Jews and the Greeks, according to Acts 18, verse 4. Revelation is a Sabbath vision. The Bible says in Revelation 1.10, I was in the Spirit on the what? Lord's Day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. When is the Lord's Day? The Bible says, therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the what? Sabbath, Mark 2.28. So the entire book of Revelation is a vision that was given on the... Lord's Day. Lord's Day is the Sabbath day. Now, listen to what the Bible says here. And this is where a lot of people get confused. Let no man therefore, this is Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of, a, of the new moon or of the what? Sabbath days which are a shadow of things to come but the bodies of Christ. There it is, Pastor Myers. Your whole lesson tonight has been flushed down the toilet. Clear as day in the Bible, Colossians 2.16. Let me read to you something that Dwight Moody said in his book, Wade and Wanting, page 47. How many of you ever heard of Dwight Moody? Okay, yeah. Famous Christian writer. Bible says here, and preacher, the Bible says here, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> Moody says here, the Sabbath was binding in Eden and it has been in force ever since. This fourth commandment begins with the word what? Remember, showing that the Sabbath already existed when God wrote the law on the tables of stone at Sinai. How can men claim that this one commandment has been done away with when they will admit that the other nine are still what? Still binding. That's a pretty good question. In other words, if the Ten Commandments has been done away with, then all the commandments have been done away with. But if they haven't, then all the commandments, all the Ten Commandments are still in what? Are still in force. Listen to this other quote by T.C. Blake, who is a Presbyterian minister. It says, the Sabbath is a part of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. This alone settles the question as to the perpetuity of the institution. Until, therefore, it can be shown that the whole moral law has been repealed, the Sabbath will stand. The teaching of Christ confirms the perpetuity of the Sabbath. Do you remember in our discussion yesterday we talked about the ceremonial law? The ceremonial law is what Christ came to put an end to. We saw that Christ came to put an end to the sacrifices. We don't need to do what? 
sacrifice animals anymore. We saw that Christ came to put an end to the drink and meat and all these other offerings. We don't need to go to a temple to make these offerings anymore. We also saw that there were seven ceremonial what? Sabbaths. These were the Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Pentecost, Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles. They fell on any day of the week. They were kind of like roving Sabbaths. And when Christ came and died, we, he, he put an end to those feasts in that we no longer were required to observe them. So the Bible tells us here that when it says, let no man judge you in meats or drinks or Sabbath days or holy days, what law is he talking about? The ceremonial law. He is not talking about the Ten Commandment law as Moody and many others clearly understand. So, there are some people, or rather, we in here understand that God's law cannot be what? Changed or done away with. That who is the one that wants to do that? Satan. And Satan realized that there are some people who are like, nope, God's law stands and all these laws remain. So Satan says, okay, if I can't abolish it, what am I going to do? Redirect it. I'm going to change times and laws. What day is the Lord's day? Is the question we're going to look at now. Notice again, and God blessed the what? Seventh day and sanctified it. Genesis 2 verse 3. I want you to notice what the book of um, Matthew has to say on the Sabbath. In the end of the Sabbath... As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. Question, when's the first day of the week? Sunday. So this text here is telling us that the Sabbath is the day before the what? First day of the week. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to, the, to see the sepulchre. So the scripture here is telling us that Sabbath is the day before Sunday, what day is the Lord's day? Look at the Webster's Dictionary. Sunday is the what? First day of the week, according to Webster's Dictionary. Same dictionary, Saturday is the seventh or last day of the week. And just to make it very clear for you, they actually put the day following Friday and preceding Sunday. Does, is that helpful? Just to give you a little perspective. The day following Friday... And preceding Sunday. That means the day in between Friday and Sunday, the dictionary calls out the seventh day. God's commandment says, the what? Seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. So Saturday, beloved, is the seventh day. Now, what does that say there? But the what? You guys are looking confused. Come on, read it plainly. What does it say? I'm hearing seven, I'm hearing first. What's going on here? What, is, what, what does it say? <laughs> it says, beloved, if you need to read this correctly, but the first day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. That's what it says. What does the Bible say? But the seventh day. So you see here, you'll notice that I've got a little... X here over that seventh. Who do you think put that X there? I hope you're not calling me Satan now. Watch it now. 
You see, beloved, the Bible says the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. But if we go according to what's happening today and what we are seeing today, it should read, but the what? First day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. But is that accurate? Is it correct? Listen to what Jesus says. Think not that I'm come to destroy the law of the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to what? Fulfill. Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Beloved, this is more than a jot and a tittle. This is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven letters changed in the law of God. Now, how many of you would, would, be, would be so daring as to reach into that ark, take out that commandment, and scratch out some of the letters? Anybody in here willing to do that? Hundred dollars? Two? A million? Why? Because you would not be around to spend that million, right? God says here, he, he, his law is perfect. It doesn't need changing. But somehow or another, most of the world is honoring the what? First day of the week instead of the seventh. Satan's diabolical plan slip into the law of God, a commandment that seems to be in honor of God, done by God, but in reality is in honor of who? Satan, done by who? Satan. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, God, which frameth mischief by a law? Weapon of mass deception. The disciples changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday in order to honor Christ. How many of you have heard this before? All right, let's check it out. Is that so? There are eight times that the first day of the week is mentioned in the New Testament. We're going to look at them very quickly. All eight. Only eight times. Isn't that amazing? The Sabbath is mentioned, I think, 60-something times in the New Testament, but the first day of the week is only mentioned eight times. You would think that with the way the churches are keeping the first day of the week today, the way people are keeping the first day of the week today, that Sunday must be all over the, the, the New Testament. Let's check it out. Matthew 28, verse 1. This is number 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Anyone see anything in there that says the Sabbath has been changed from the first day of the week, from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week? Anybody? No. There's nothing there, beloved. It's just a historical account. Number 2. And very early in the morning, this is now the book of Mark, very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. Do you see anything in there? It's another historical account. So we've got three and four now. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Mark 16.9. And some people say, see, we worship on the first day of the week because Jesus rose from the tomb. Does the Bible tell us anywhere to worship Jesus because he, on the first day of the week because he rose from the tomb? No, you will not find that anywhere in the scripture at all. This is just a historical account that Jesus rose on the first day of the week. Now, we ought to praise God that Jesus rose. Amen? Amen. But now, is there any significance to the first day of the week because Jesus rose on the first day of the week? According to the Bible, absolutely 
None, as we're going to see. Number, th- number four. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. Nothing in there that makes Sunday holy. Nothing there. Just a historical account. Number five. Now the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre. That's John 20, verse 1. Again, nothing there, beloved. For all the Sunday keeping that we see, can it be possible that we have three texts left? Can it be possible that the teaching of Sunday having replaced Saturday can be found in three texts in all the Bible? Those verses better be pretty powerful to be convincing. What do you think? Because we want to make sure that we've got the right what? Passport. You remember me? You with me? We want to make sure we've got the right passport because all it takes is one breach, beloved. And number six. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled because they were worshiping, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto you. I, don't, I must have misread that. Oh, there it is. Where they were assembled for what? For fear of who? The Jews. So the disciples were not doing what? Worshiping on the first day of the week. They were simply assembled because they were afraid. Well, beloved, we've got how many more texts? Two. Second text number seven. This is going to be this is going to be powerful, beloved. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. All right, we've got a religious service here. Amen. We do. We've got a religious. They're gathered together. Paul is preaching. They're breaking bread. Now, let me ask you a question. It is uh, Saturday night tonight, and I'm preaching. Is this day now holy? Does my preaching make a day holy? No. So did Paul's preaching make this day holy? All right, the disciples broke bread on this day. Is there anywhere in the Bible that we read that breaking of bread makes a day holy? No, nowhere at all. In fact, if you read in the book of Acts, chapter 2 and 3, or chapter 2 rather, you will find there this verse, and they, speaking of the early church, continuing how often? Daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. How often did they break bread? Daily. Every day they broke bread. So in Acts chapter 7, it's just now zooming in, focusing in on one day that they were worshiping together. Is there anything in that verse then that we can read that says, oh, the early church frequently met on Sundays? No, because the early church met every day. Now, beloved, the Sabbath commandment does not mean to be holy only on the Sabbath. Do you understand that? It's simply a commandment that says, keep this day aside from the other days. You can do all your work and all those things, but on this day, I don't want you to work. On this day, I want you to dedicate it to fellowship with others and with me. So some people say, well, I keep every day as a Sabbath. That's, you can't do that. What would happen if you kept every day as a Sabbath? You would starve. That's right. 
So God says, no, I command you to work six days, but on this day, I want you to set it aside. Let me ask you, do we have a Sabbath? Well, the commandment says, it is a Sabbath of the Lord thy God. So do we have a Sabbath? No. Whose Sabbath is it? It's God's Sabbath. Only God can have a Sabbath because he's the creator. You and I can't have a Sabbath because if I had a Sabbath, I'd be a creator too. So no, I just keep the Sabbath of the Lord, my God. And, and his Sabbath, I can't change. I can't say, well, I'm going to decide when and how I will keep his Sabbath. It doesn't work like that. Does that make sense? It is his Sabbath. It is his holy day. We can't say, well, my Sabbath. People say, my Sabbath is no, you don't have a Sabbath because you're not who? You're not God. All right, beloved, we're down to one text. This text must be pretty powerful for so many churches across this planet to be keeping the first day of the week. Here it is. How many of you are ready for it? All right, here we go. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you, this is Paul speaking, by the way, speaking to the church at Corinth, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. Now, this text looks a little bit confusing, but do you see anything in here that would confidently allow you to stand before God and say, well, God, the reason why I now, why I no longer kept the commandment, the fourth commandment, the way it was written in stone by your own finger, the reason why I now keep the first day of the week is because 1 Corinthians 16, 2, it says upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered. How many of you would be willing to go before God with that one? Think carefully now. I wouldn't be willing to. I mean, first of all, it looks kind of confusing. What is Paul saying here? Paul was talking about taking up an offering on this day. Now, let me ask you something. If I were to take up an offering, we haven't passed a plate here, but if I said, okay, we're going to pass a plate and take up an offering tonight. If I were to do that tonight, would that make this day a holy day? No. Offerings don't make anything holy. So we've seen that whether it's a gathering or an offering, that doesn't make something holy. It is God's what? pronunciation that makes something holy. Notice something, beloved. No prophet can make something holy. How many of you understand that? A prophet does not have the power to make something holy. A disciple does not have the power to make something holy. Only God can make something holy. Amen? So could the disciples have any power to all of a sudden make Sunday holy? No. You look through the Bible and anything that is holy, God first had to what? Pronounce it holy. And beloved, you look through the entire scripture and you will never find one place where God says that the first day of the week is now what? Holy. So could the disciples have changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday? No, they could not have. And just to let you know what this verse is actually talking about, we read that in another translation. It says here, that is, each Sunday... Each of you must put aside part of what you have earned. If you do this, you won't have to take up a collection when I come. Here's another one. On the first day of the week, let each one of you put something aside, storing up whatever he may prosper, in order that there be no collections when I come. This is not even talking about a church service. It just says, on the first day of the week, put aside some savings. It didn't say on the first day of the week, pass a plate. Does that make sense? It's simply saying, put something aside. Beloved, there, is no more, there are no more texts in the New Testament talking about Sunday as a holy day. 
or even mentioning the first day of the week. The question then is, where in the world and how in the world did this change come about? Well, you and I know why. He shall think to what? Change times and laws. Redirecting worship. Notice what Revelation says here. The four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive what? Glory and honor and power for you have done what? Created all things. Why is God worthy to receive glory and honor and power? Because he's created all things. Now, beloved, you'll realize that the fourth commandment is a commandment that explains to us the reason why God is worthy of glory and honor and praise. Why? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. All that in them is. So if Satan wanted to be worshipped by the stars of God as a creator, worthy of glory and honor and praise, what would he need to do? Redirect which commandment? The fourth commandment. And that is exactly what he has done. Paganism entered the church very early in the third century. There was a day called De Solis or a festival called De Solis, the venerable day of the sun. This is from the book Astrology and Religion among the Greeks and Romans. And it says, the preeminence assigned to the De Solis also certainly contributed to the general recognition of Sunday as a what? As a holy day. It was a holy day among pagan, well it wasn't a holy day, but they worshipped the sun as a god. And in so doing, they came to recognize the Sunday as the name, sun's day, the venerable day of the sun. Again, it says these solace, or rather, as pagans worshipped the sun, Satan ultimately received that what? That worship. Well, in combining the sun's day with the what? Law of God, Satan imperceptibly redirects worship and exalts his throne above who? The stars of God. Listen to Alexander Campbell, what he wrote in 1824, Disciples of Christ. It says, but some say it was changed from the seventh to the first day. Where, when, and by whom? No man can tell. No, it was never changed, nor could it be, unless creation was to be gone through again, for the reason assigned must be changed before the observance, or respect to the reason can be changed. It is all wise fables to talk of the change of the Sabbath from the seventh to the first day. If it be changed, it was that august personage who changes what? Times and laws ex officio. I think his name is Dr. Antichrist. That's a pretty interesting quote from the denomination Disciples of Christ, beloved. Redirecting worship. Honoring graven images redirected redirected to honor fallen what? Angels. Honoring the sun's day redirected to Satan's where? Throne. Make you, the purpose is to make you rebellious against the law of heaven under a guise of what? Holiness. 
To put self-tradition above the law of God. God, this is what I'm used to doing too. This is what I'm used to doing. I know what your law says. I know what's in the Ark of the Covenant. But this is how I am used to doing things. Does that sound familiar? Yes, it does, beloved. Look at this last day prophecy. Found in Isaiah 58, verse 12 to 13. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the what? Breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. What breach is God talking about here? Listen. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and calling the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. God says, you will be called a repairer of the breach. Why? Because Satan has made a what? Breach in the law of God. And many people are falling through this breach, beloved. God is just. Remember, at the times of this ignorance, God winked, but now commandeth all men everywhere to what? To repent. There are many people, beloved, who are keeping the first day of the week, who are honest, sincere, devout Christians, and should they die, they will be secured a place in heaven. You want to know why? Because they were living up to all the light that they had. God winks at ignorance. But on the other hand, there are those who say, you know what? I heard this and uh, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. This is what I'm used to doing and I will continue to what? To do it. And what will God be able to do? This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips. Jesus, we love you, but they're what? Heart is far from me. Why? In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of man. Matthew 15, 8 and 9. Beloved, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my what? Commandments. How many of you love Jesus? We're getting ready to close here. It says, and the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged. And the what? Temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. Beloved, where is the temple of God now? In heaven. Do you think that if you were to go up to heaven and open that temple, you would find seventh scratched out in the Ten Commandments and first written in there? You better be sure about that. Because, beloved, if we, if we think, you know, it doesn't matter, and God says it does matter, what did Satan want in heaven? The what? The throne. Christ is willing to share his throne. Listen to what he says. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my what? Throne. Beloved, we don't need to fight for God's throne. He says, I'll give it to you. If you overcome, I'll allow you to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Revelation 3.21. But beloved, the problem is, many want the what? Throne, but not the law underneath it. Do you know how many people sing songs about Jesus and say, God, I want to just, oh I, oh, I just can't explain how I, every time I just get teary-eyed. And then when they realize that underneath the throne of God is something called the Ten Commandment Law, all of a sudden, I want the throne but don't tell me that I need to what? Keep the law. And who was the first one 
that came up with that theology. Give me the throne, but not the law. Satan. Why do I have to what? Deny self. And you know, beloved, let me tell you something. Keeping the Sabbath is going to take self-sacrifice. When you think about that, Friday sundown, the Bible says uh, uh, from sundown to sundown was the first day, the second day, the third day. That being said, the Sabbath begins Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. Now, as a hip-hop artist, what do you think is the biggest night to perform? Friday night. Do you think it's any coincidence that Friday night happens to be the night when everything starts moving? Where all the parties and all the different things are going on. Beloved, when I discovered the Sabbath, I knew that it was going to take a serious sacrifice. Perhaps even giving up my music career because I was required to perform on Friday nights. And people would have to come in and pay. And I'm thinking, $800,000 contract, Jesus. $800,000 contract, Jesus. And I began to see, beloved, that following Jesus takes self-sacrifice. what Look at it, Friday night, biggest party night, Saturday, biggest shopping day, sporting events. But beloved, listen, when you make the sacrifice to keep God's law in a world that has forgotten God, you know what it begins to reveal in you? The law of what? Self-sacrificing love. This is where, beloved, we put Jesus to death. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. He says, hey, and I want you to just do a couple things for me. You know, you may lose your Friday nights, you know, the things that you used to do. And, oh, I can't do this anymore. But Jesus says, I want to begin to cause the self-sacrificing law of love to be evident in you. And, beloved, as we learn this truth, God is asking us a question tonight. I gave everything for you. Are you willing to have that self-sacrificing law of love begin to work in your own heart? A lot of people see this command and say, why should I have to deny myself? Nobody else is keeping this. Why should I have to do it? Beloved, the heavenly passport. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have what? Right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without our dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers, idolaters, and whosoever what? Loveth and maketh a lie. There are people who will say to themselves, well, the whole world can't be wrong, so I'm going to go the path that the whole world is going. How many of you would like to go the path that the whole world is going? No hands. Very good decision. Very good choice, beloved. We must go the narrow way because Jesus says, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. This is our last slide. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I shall make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. How many of you would like to be in the new heaven and the new earth? And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one what? Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord God. Isaiah 66, 22 and 23. How many of you would like to be with God? Keeping those Sabbaths in the kingdom of heaven, according to the Bible. Well, beloved, he says, if you're going to do it there, 
If you're going to be submitted to it there, you have to be submitted to it where? Here. Amen.